welcome to the Access Church Podcast. the Word of God this morning. We're going to continue our sermon series called Take It by Force. And and the title of my message today is From Gloom to Glory. From Gloom to Glory. Go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 11 verse 12. This is the year we're going to take it by force. And and, and here Jesus is, is giving his disciples somewhat of a reality check. And he tells his disciples here, he says, from the days of John the Baptist, Until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. So let me give you a little bit of background uh, and and context to what Jesus is telling his his disciples. Here in Matthew chapter chapter 11, John the Baptist had just been imprisoned by by King Herod for preaching the gospel and and baptizing, And, and so... Here he is in this moment, and, and he's, he finds himself in, in that, that meantime. He, he finds himself in, in that place where, where he often, where, where he began to question and doubt his faith. He began to question and doubt what he had heard from God. And so he sends his disciples to, to Jesus asking, asking if he was the Messiah or they should uh, wait for another. And, and when you look at that, that question is, is, is contrary to what he had spoken about Jesus unequivocally just before his imprison, imprisonment in John 1, 29-31. Here he was, John the Baptist was out at the River Jordan. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was baptizing. And then all of a sudden, this day, Jesus shows up and John the Baptist stops everything. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the, the sins of the world, but now just uh, just uh, 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 a little bit down the, the line, John all of a sudden finds himself in, in in that dark place. He finds himself in 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 prison. He finds himself alone and isolated, and he finds himself almost like in that that meantime moment. Remember, we talked about last week how the meantime can be mean. It's that moment where 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 you might feel like you're you're being attacked. That moment where you you're isolated from your loved ones. That moment where everything that you thought you knew begins to almost fall apart. And here, John the Baptist, one moment, he's declaring that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But now he finds himself in that in that meantime moment. He finds himself uh, alone and isolated in a dark, dingy uh, a jail cell who is his, he probably with, with not a lot uh, enough food to sustain him, nor even enough water, you know, for him. And so here he is in, in that moment moment and all of a sudden he begins to question and doubt his faith he begins to question and, and doubt his, his his place and his position he begins to question what he had uh, previously felt was 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 so secure in in God and isn't that like how we are sometimes we we get the the prophetic word we we get the promise we 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 have a, a an amazing prophetic moment and then we, we just know that God is going to come through just like we're turning it around as we were singing out everything is going to change and all of a sudden Monday morning hits all of a sudden the problems come all of a sudden you know things begin to shift and change instead of getting from going from from good to better they almost seem to go bad to worse and you find yourself just like John 
John in, 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 in a place where you, you, you begin to doubt your faith? Or, or is that, does that only happen to me? Uh, no, of course you guys don't, right? You, 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 never, you never find yourself in that moment where you wonder if, if God was really going to turn it around. You, you never find yourself in that moment if, if God was going to change everything into your favor. That if he was going to fulfill every word and every promise to you. I, I can tell you, me as, as a pastor, as a leader, I've had those moments where one moment I'm declaring and prophesying that God is going to heal. One moment I'm preparing and, and prophesying that, that God is going to turn it around. And then all of a sudden I find myself in in that dark place I find myself in that meantime questioning and wondering man is God really going to come through for me this time and and so here was John the Baptist and, and and Jesus himself calls him the greatest prophet who ever lived from from Moses he said John John was the greatest and so so John was here he had just testified that Jesus was the son of God but now he's in he's incarcerated now he finds himself in a place where he begins to doubt what he knew in his heart because of what was going through he said are, are you I, I know you're probably not like me but I, I'm an overthinker let me tell you, there are moments if I don't control my thoughts, my thoughts can get away from me. You, you find your, especially when you kind of lay your head to, to down to sleep at night, you're like, man, am I going to be able to pay the rent? Am I going to be able to pay the car? Am I going to be able to provide for my kids? Am, are we going to make it through? Are we going to come out of this situation? Is God really going to come through? And then all of a sudden you find yourself in that moment questioning and doubting something that you just, just uh, maybe a few days ago or a few hours ago, you knew to be absolutely true. And so here was John. He found himself in a place where he had this, this, this inner battle between what he knew in his heart and what he could see with his head and, and see that's the thing about uh, 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 about walking with God see there's going to be times where your head and your heart are diametrically opposed they're, they're almost like in in going polar opposite directions they're their place and see John you in his heart but now that he finds himself in that meantime moment he finds himself in that process he finds himself where it seems like everything he knew was falling apart all that began to cloud his head and see when the that opposition comes and that's what Jesus was saying when he said he was telling he was telling them here John let, let me this is a teaching opportunity this is a teaching moment John finds himself questioning and Jesus is saying I better prepare my disciples of what's to come and and he tells him he said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence uh, in other words every time the kingdom of God is going to advance there's going to be an opposition and he's using John's life right now where John finds himself questioning and doubting his faith questioning what he thought was was what was true and he finds himself and Jesus begins to give his disciples this reality check says you know what when you decide to follow me you've got to know that there is an opposition for that is trying to disrupt that is that is trying to delay that is trying to deny that is trying to derail everything that God wants to do in your life and there, he, he's using this, 
this moment. And, and, and so, you know, when, when that opposition comes, it's going to be easy to give up. It's going to be easy to question God. It's going to be easy to wonder if you missed it or, or even question, are you in God's will? But you have to know that the opposition is coming. And when you know that, you have to hold on to what you have heard in your heart from God. That's why the Bible says that, that this is a, a, a faith walk, that we walk by faith and not by sight. That's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And that word sight is not just related to your vision. It's related to your sensory skills, your sensory perception, everything, your, your, your taste, your touch, your feel. Because there might be moments when you see something, but you feel the exact opposite. There might be moments where you feel something, but, but you see. See, there's something about sight. You do not see things the way they are. You see things the way they appear to be. See, we all see everything through the filters of our life. We all have filters, and we see things through filters. We see things through the filters of our past experiences. We see things through the, the filter of, of our past traumas. We see things through the filter of our past problems, of our, our past pain. So oftentimes, it is our own sight that can deceive us and cause us to believe a fake and false reality. And so that's what Jesus is telling his disciples in, in this Christian walk. As, as you choose to, to follow me, you've got to know that everything that God wants to do in your life, that there is an opposition force that is going to try to stop it. There's going to be moments where, where, where you don't feel it. There's going to be moments where it, it doesn't look like it's going in the right direction. It, there's going to be moments, and it's almost like every time you have that moment, that breakthrough, the enemy comes in like a flood. Or that only happens to me. Like, am I the only weird one? Doesn't that happen to you at moments? And there you are like John, wondering, questioning, and doubting. And see, sometimes we, we, we miss out on the promise because we're looking for the picture instead of the potential. See, you've got to understand the way that God blesses, the way that God moves, God always blesses in seed form. God always blesses in seed form. Now, there's one thing you've got to know about a seed. A seed will never germinate. A seed will never produce unless it dies. It won't. It, 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 won't, it won't produce in order for a seed. And see, oftentimes we get caught up because we're looking for the picture. When God speaks a word, God speaks a promise of something he's going to do in your life. He gives it to you in the form of the seed. And oftentimes you get confused because you're looking for the picture instead of the potential. You're looking for the tree. You're looking for the plant. You're looking for the flower. And God gives you a seed. But there's something about a seed. A seed will only produce when it dies. And, and that's the, here, here is the clearest picture. If you never plant the seed, or let me put it this way, if you never bury the seed, it will never produce. So in order for a seed to produce, it has to die. And so you find yourself in that process, and God is going to speak. God, God is, and, and understand, I'm preparing you because I truly believe that God has great things lined and planned for you in 2023, but it's not going to come easy. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to take it by force. There are, God's going to tell you this, but he's going to give you the seed. You have to bury the seed. And so sometimes in that moment, in that process, you find yourself like John. You find yourself in that meantime. You find the, yourself in, in that place 
place of, uh, of self-doubt, that place of wonder, wondering if God is really going to come through. And you have to realize that you are not buried. You are just planted. But God has you in a place where a lot of those things that he needs to kill in your life are going to begin to die. And so he buries you. And it feels dark. It feels lonely. You feel isolated. And God is saying, I need those things in your life to die. Because God will never give you the promise without a process. What did I say last week? The process will prepare you for your promise. And God will not give you the promise until you're ready for it, until you're prepared for it. So he's got to take you through that process. He's got to prepare you. He's got to re remove things from, from your life. And like I said, what does the enemy try to do? He tries to bring discouragement. What is discouragement? Discouragement comes from disappointment. What is disappointment? Disappointment is when your expectation does not meet your reality. You expect something, and, and, and God is doing something different. God is moving in a, 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 a different way. And, and so oftentimes we, we, we miss it. Oftentimes we, we, we find ourselves in a place of self-doubt, that place of disappointment, and that place of discouragement. Why? Why does the devil try to discourage you? Because the devil cannot defeat you. Victory is already yours. The promise is already yours. The purpose is already yours. The only way that he can get you from possessing the promise is to get you to quit. And so his goal in life is to discourage you so much that you want to throw in the towel. You want to give up and say, you know what? It's not worth it anymore. I quit. And, and I believe that that. This, this principle is so clearly pictured in the book of 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 10 through 14. So let me give you some context. King Solomon here, he had just finished building the palace and building the temple. He, he, he built upon a foundation that his father David laid. And, and, and here in, in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 10, look at what happens. It says, at the end of 20 years, during which Solomon built these two buildings, the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, King Solomon gave 20 towns in Galilee to Hiram, king of Tyre, because Hiram had supplied him with all the sea and juniper and gold he wanted but when Hiram went from Tyre to see the towns of Solomon had given him he was not pleased with them now now imagine for a moment there let me just point this out that it's hard for us oftentimes because we, we we were not born in a monarchy we were born in a democratic republic so it's hard for us to understand principles of providence and sovereignty but when a king owns something and a king gives something, he never relinquishes complete ownership. It always belongs to him. That's why he is the sovereign. That's why he is the Lord. That's why he is the landlord. That's why in Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all that dwell belong to him. Why? Because he is the king of kings. But he has given you and I the right of residency. He's given you guys, uh, you and I, stewardship on the earth. But he never relinquishes authority. He never relinquishes ownership. So here in, in this story... King Solomon, so grateful for the contribution of King Hiram that he says, I'm going to do something. I I'm going to give you 20 towns in the land of, of Galilee. 
I'm going to give you 20 talents. And, and so this, this, this picture of disappointment is, is perfectly pictured here within the promised land because the promised land didn't always look like it was pictured to be. Remember, God says, I'm going to take you to a place that, 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 is, that flows with milk and honey. What he didn't tell them, that you're going to have to go there, you're going to have to work, and you're going to have to cultivate it to be able to produce the milk and honey. See, when God gives you something, he also gives you ability. God will not give you an assignment without giving you ability. He will equip you, and then he will give you authority. You'll find that in Genesis 1.28, and I don't have time to get into that, but that's how it is. When God gives you something, he gives only you the ability to unlock the blessing that's tied into your promise. So all of a sudden, imagine, you know, getting a, a, a gift from a king, a, a I mean, you've got to think that a king probably gives some pretty awesome gifts. So here King Hiram receives this gift from, from King Solomon. And King Solomon was, was the most wealthiest man in the world. In fact, Solomon was so wealthy that if you would calculate his wealth in terms of today's economy, he would still be the wealthiest man in the world. And so imagine receiving a gift from the wealthiest man in the world, even King Hiram, like, dude, Solomon, Solomon's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of bank. Can you imagine the gift? And so what did, what, what did King Hiram do? He goes, I want to go see what this guy gave me. I remember years ago, I was reading a book about Arnold Palmer, the great golfer. And he was invited by, by the king of Jordan to go play uh, uh, 18 holes of golf. And, and so Arnold Palmer, he, he accepted the invitation. The king of Jordan sent his private plane and flew him all the way to the Middle East. They, they had an amazing day, stayed in the best hotels. They had the best food. And at the end of, of, of their time, the king of Jordan says, you know what? I am so grateful that you, Arnold Palmer, came and played golf with me. I want to give you something. What can I give you? And Arnold Palmer was thinking like, Man, you flew me in a private plane. I stayed in the best hotels. I've eaten the best food. Like, I mean, what else could I ask for? And so he, he, he flippantly says, you know what? Just give me a golf club. So, so Arnold Palmer flies back to the United States. And, and I'm sure he's probably thinking, man, the king of Jordan, he's very wealthy. He's probably going to give me the best golf club that has ever been created. Maybe, maybe one that no one has ever seen made out of some material or substance. And in his mind, I could see him standing in front of his mirror, just be like, man, this, this golf club's going to be amazing. Well, day after day passed and he never got a package until one day he gets a package from the King of Jordan, but it wasn't a box. It was an envelope. And he's looking at the envelope. He's like, I don't think a golf club, you know, could fit in there. He was thinking, well, maybe he gave me a gift certificate. I don't know. Buy one, get one free. I don't know. So he opens the envelope, and what was in the envelope was a deed of trust for a golf club. <laughs> so what did the king of Jordan? He said, oh, you want a golf club? See, how many of you know that kings sing differently than you and I? Arnold Palmer was thinking a club, and the king would say, oh, yeah, I'll give you the biggest, baddest club that there's ever been created. And from that point on, Arnold Palmer began to buy all kinds of golf clubs and resorts. Imagine the, the king. And so here King Hiram gets this gift from King Solomon, 
And he goes out there, and look at what happens. In, in verse 12, he says, But when Hiram went out to, uh, from Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with him. Verse 13, he said, What kind of towns are these that you have given me, my brother? He asked, and he called them the land of Kabul, a name that they have to this day. That, 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 that name Kabul means wasteland. It means a, 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 a sewage reservoir. It means a landfill. It means a dump. So King Hiram goes out there and he sees these 20 towns. He begins to look at, at what King Solomon had given him. And the Bible says that he was not pleased. He, he couldn't see the potential. He couldn't see what was there. He couldn't see. And he said, this is a land that is good for nothing. This is a land that will never produce nothing. Nothing can produce here. Nothing can, can grow here. He pronounced a word of curse over that region, and that region lived under that curse until one day God releases a word over that same place that was called a wasteland, that same place that someone said would never produce anything. See, you've got to know something about God that no one can curse what God has blessed. No one can curse what God has blessed. And so it doesn't matter who has talked bad about you. It doesn't matter what they said to you. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. It doesn't matter how they backstabbed you or back blacklisted you. It doesn't matter when God speaks a word of blessing over your life there is nothing or no one on this earth or even in hell that can stop it because no one can curse what God has blessed but but for years that that land of Galilee that that was was known as a wasteland nobody wanted to live there nobody wanted to dwell there because it was a desert nothing could be grown nothing could be cultivated and nothing could be could, could be uh, produced there and for years it lived under that curse and see for a lot of us we're living under curses we're living under identities that other people have imposed on us. We're living uh, those things that, those, those names that people called us. And God is telling you are not cursed. You are blessed. God is telling you are the head and not the tail. That you are above and not beneath. You are not an alcoholic. You are not a drug addict. You, you are not. You are blessed. But what do we have to do? We've got to shake off that old identity. No one's going to do it for us. No, one, no one's going to take that off, off of us. No one's going to strip it. We have to shake it off. And for years, that place was cursed. In fact, this reminds me of a story in Numbers 22, verse 23. The children of Israel had come out of, had come out of, of slavery in, in Egypt, and they find themselves in, in a, a valley. Those of you know that understand military strategy, you never want to be in the valley. A valley is a place of, of, of incredible vulnerability. It is a place where it, you can get trapped, and there's no way to escape. And, and those that have the high ground always have the advantage. And so all of us sudden the king of Moab who saw the children of Israel as enemies he said this is my opportunity this is my opportunity I'm going to take advantage and I know what I'm going to curse them because up until this point the children of Israel they were living blessed they, they, they were they were drinking water that came out of a rock they saw the Red Sea open up and they were able to walk on dry ground they had manna being delivered from heaven God was the first Uber Eats that you ever even heard of he was just dropping manna, and they were eating, 
and people would attack them and they would always have these supernatural occurrences, these supernatural victories, but then they found themselves in this place of vulnerability. And king of Moab, Balak says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to curse them. So what does he do? He goes and hires Balaam, a, a soothsayer, a, 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 a warlock, a diviner, to come and curse the people of God. In fact, the most famous Jewish scholar, Josephus, whose writings are still considered the most accurate extra-biblical historical account of Jewish history ever written, he wrote this, in effect, that Balaam was among the greatest of the prophets at that time. Now, that is a pretty remarkable statement since Balaam lived during the same time as the prophet Moses. But whereas Moses was an instrument for the power of God in the earth, Balaam was an instrument through which the kingdom of darkness found access in the earthly realm. So the use of the word prophet by, by Josephus was, was in a, a, a general term. It, it could not be misunderstood. See, in this context, the prophet does not refer to a spokesman of God such as Moses or Elijah. For Balaam's practices were diametrically opposed to the way that God manifested himself through his prophets. So Josephus used the word prophet in a very general sense to denote one who was able to foresee the future. And even pagans used this word prophet to denote anyone who was a vocal instrument of the spirit realm. Now, according to the scriptures, Balaam was a, a, a sorcerer, a soothsayer who operated with the powers of divination. In fact, the ancient world at that time was full of soothsayers. But it seems no one was more notable than Balaam during this time. And Balak's own kingdom of Moab probably had a plethora of, of soothsayers, of warlocks, of diviners. But because none was capable of cursing Israel, he sent emissaries nearly 400 miles away to plead with Balaam to come and curse the people of God in the valley. Now, if these soothsayers or these diviners enjoyed a record of success, they could actually demand a very high price for their services. And in fact, Balak knew that hiring this sorcerer would be very expensive. In fact, he was willing to pay him a house full of silver and gold for him to come and curse the nation of Israel. In fact, in Numbers 22, 6, Balak told Balaam, for I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and for whoever you curse is curse. So Balak was certain that Balaam would be able to curse Israel, but I've got news for you. Balaam couldn't do it. I don't know if you've ever read the story, but the Bible says that the children of Israel in the valley, that Balaam would go up to the highest mountaintop and he would overlook the children of Israel in that valley, in that, in that most vulnerable uh, of, of positions and state. And every time that he would try to release a curse, instead of a curse, a blessing would come out. He would stand up again and every time he tried to speak a curse, instead of a curse, a blessing would come out. And then a third time he went up there and he tried to speak a curse but instead of a curse a blessing would come out let me tell you that is the same today every time the enemy wants to release a curse over your life anytime the enemy wants to declare something negative over your life God will raise up and instead of a curse he will bring you a blessing he will literally take that which the enemy meant for evil and he will turn it around for your good and he failed 
time and time again. In, in fact, in, in Numbers 23.8, Balaam had to tell the king, he says, how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom the Lord has not condemned? And the scripture tells us that every time Balaam opened his mouth to speak a curse, a blessing would come out instead. It was impossible for a curse to be pronounced where God had pronounced a blessing. It was true then, and the same is true today. If you are in Christ, you are safe, secure, and sealed in the protective blood of Jesus, and the power of that divine protection can never be breached by someone or anything operating under or in cooperation with the kingdom of darkness. What God has blessed, no man can curse. I'm here to tell you that you are blessed today. You are blessed. Your marriage is blessed. Your family are blessed. Your children is, are blessed. Your finances are blessed. It doesn't matter what the devil says. It doesn't matter what curse has been released over your life. No one and nothing can curse what God has already blessed. That's who you are. So back to, to our story of King Hiram. King Hiram spoke a curse over that region. But just like with Balaam, no one can curse what God has already blessed. So God raised up the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah, approximately 300 years later, he says, uh -uh, I'm not going to allow you to live under this curse. I'm not going to allow you. I, I have plans for this territory. I had already declared that this would be the promised land. I had already declared that this would be a land that produces. I had already declared that this would be a land that would flow with milk and honey. And I'm not going to allow you to curse. I'm not going to allow you to curse what I have already blessed. So God raises up the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 1. He says, but there will be no gloom for who for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nation. See, the very thing that Hiram cursed, God raised up a prophet and said, I cancel that curse. And not only do I cancel that, I increase the blessing over your life. I increase, I will take your gloom from being gloomy to glorious. And that what is... That is what God is going to do. He is about to turn it around. He is about to change everything. If you don't give up, if you hold on, if you push through the pain, Jesus is going to show up at the right moment and change everything and turn it around. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take that area that was gloomy and turn it into something that he can use for his glory. He's going to take that issue, that problem, that weakness, that burden, the thorn in your flesh, the thing that people would talk about you, the thing that people would ridicule you for, that area in your life the enemy would use against you. When Jesus shows up you're in your life, everything is going to turn around. God has called you blessed. You are blessed. And you've got to shake off that old identity. Shake off that old curse and begin to walk in who God has called you to be. Speak that over your children. Speak that over your grandchildren. I break, I break generational curses of alcoholism, of drug addiction, of divorce in the name of Jesus. I break it right now. You've got to do that. You have the authority here on the earth. 
But when Jesus shows up, everything turns around. And for years, that region was known as a wasteland. In fact, it wasn't until years later that, that King Solomon went back and, and he began to build. And, and, and I imagine that, see, when, when God gives you something, he gives you the ability to produce in a place that no one else can see the opportunity. And so King Hiram goes out there and he sees what Solomon gave him and he sees a wasteland. He sees a sewage reservoir. He sees a dump. And he's like, what is this that you gave me? But Solomon has a different perspective. He has a different vision because he believes in God. And Solomon's looking at him. He's like, what? You don't see all the beautiful buildings, all the beautiful roads? You, you don't see the potential in Hiram is looking at a dump and King Solomon is looking at something different. And that's how it is in life. See, when you have the favor and grace over your life, God might call you to buy something or build something that no one else can see because he's given you the ability and the potential to unlock the blessing that is in there. And so here this place for years lived under that curse. But let me tell you, when God speaks a blessing over your life, when God speaks a blessing over your life, nothing can stop it. It will be fulfilled. And in fact, that same place that was known, like really still home already, dude. You don't rub his back. No wonder he didn't want to leave. No, estabas así, él no, estabas así como, como un gatito acomodándose. And I'm not giving him the signal, you're like, y él andaba. Amen. He wasn't amen in the message. Amen. Andaba así. And I'm like, geez. Make sure they sit separately next week. Welcome to Access Church, everybody. We totally planned that out. When God speaks, his word always accomplishes what it was set out to do. You didn't, did you get my text message? You didn't, did you? No, you didn't. Can you check your text message? Can I get the worship team to come back on up? Thank you. Change your number. Erica, check your messages too. I figured if one didn't get it, the other one would. Welcome to Access Church. When God speaks a word, it will always accomplish what it was set out to do. And for years, that region lived under the curse until one day Jesus showed up and everything changed. In Matthew chapter 4, 12 through 16, 
when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Where? The same place that King Hiram had cursed. You see the connection? It all started with John being in prison. John sending his disciples to Jesus. Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And now we're watching the fulfillment of that prophecy. The fulfillment of the promise. Jesus says, okay, John is in prison. Now it's my turn to show up. It's my turn to go do what I do. It's my turn to turn it around. It's my turn to step into a place that everybody said would not produce. It's my turn to step into a place that people said would never accomplish anything. It's my turn to do that. And it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, the same place that Hiram cursed, but the same place that God blessed. Verse 14, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. See, you did not know it was in the region of Galilee that Jesus performed the majority of his miracles 25 of the 37 recorded miracles of Jesus happened in Galilee it was in Galilee that Jesus turned the water into wine it was in Galilee that Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 4,000 it was in Galilee that Jesus calmed the storm with just a word it was in Galilee that Jesus walked on the water it was in Galilee that he healed the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda it was in Galilee that he healed blind Bartimaeus and it was in Galilee that he healed Peter's mother-in-law which I don't think he ever forgave him that's probably why he denied him later but nevertheless he still healed Peter's mother-in-law 25 of the 37 recorded miracles of Jesus now we know Jesus did a lot more than that but 25 of the 37 recorded miracles of Jesus happened in a place that a man cursed one day. And what happened? Jesus stepped in and everything changed. He took a thing that was known as gloomy. He took a thing that everyone said would not produce, was a wasteland. And he came in and he stepped into the situation and he changed everything. He turned it around. He turned it around. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter what it looks like right now. It doesn't matter what it feels like right now. They might have cursed you. They might have talked bad about you. They might have said you will never amount to anything. They might have called you a drug addict, an alcoholic, or a convict. But I'm here to tell you that no one can curse what God has already blessed. And Jesus is about to show up in your life. Jesus is about to show up in your home. Jesus is about to show up in your family and he's about to turn it around. Are you ready to have him change everything in your life? Will you stand with me? Will you stand with me? And let's yes, begin the everything prophecy. is changing now. This right now. Everything is changing now. The spirit of the Lord is here. The spirit of the Lord is here. And miracles are breaking out. Among us now, the, the spirit of the 
turn that over your life. Begin to declare that over your home. Spirit I shared yesterday with our leadership and I was talking about the man that was healed at the pool of Bethesda. The Bible says that he was there 38 years paralyzed, laying on a mat, confined to a mat. Then Jesus showed up and he says, do you want to be healed? The man first made excuses why he couldn't be healed. And Jesus is like, that's not what I asked you, bro. I said, do you want to be healed? And Jesus, discerning his heart, he looks at him and says, I I'm sure he was thinking, how? I can't. There's no way. It's impossible. All my life, I've been known as the paralytic. All my life. I've had to wait, have people wait on me hand and foot all my life, even to get here. I need people to come and lay me at this pool. All my life, I've, I, I, I've been attached to this mat, and that mat became his identity. His affliction became his identity. His addiction became his identity. His problem became his identity. And Jesus showed up and says, hey, you want to be healed? I can turn it around for you right now. The Bible says that immediately he got up and he picked up his mat and he began to walk. But at some point, at some point, he had to let go of the mat. At some point, he had to let go of that thing that you tried. See, sometimes we can hold on to a testimony, but if we hold on to it too long, then it will become our new identity. It'll be about what God had done, about who we were, and not about what God is doing. And at some point, he could no longer walk around with the mat. And the problem is, is that God cannot do what he needs to do in your life is because you're still holding on to your mat. You're still holding on to the pain. You're still holding on to the trauma. You're still holding on to unforgiveness. You're still holding on to what they did to you. You're still holding on to how he abused you. You're still holding on to how he deceived you. You're still holding on to how he hurt you. You're still holding on and you're holding and God has said, it's time to let go of the man. It's time to drop the man. That's no longer who you are. That used to be who you were. That was who you were, but that is not who you are. I've called you and created you different. You've got to let go of the man and he's saying right now he's saying right now it's time to let go it's time to let go drop the man this no longer defines me this no longer confines me Person. That used to be me, but that's not who 
Let go of the disappointment. Let go of the discouragement. You got to do what Sister Elsa said. She said, let it go. Let it go. This don't define me anymore. That's why they don't let me on the worship team. I don't know why, but I mean, I think I can make it. I've tried out several times and the answer is always no. But you got to let it go. If you're going to step into your promise... You've got to let go of the mat. No more old identities. That's not who you are. That's who you were. But that's not who you are. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.